everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. Yeah. <laughs> Make it sound so mythic. Yeah. What is the riddle of We've Got Mail? Gather around, children, <laughs> and fellow weary travelers. <laughs> Have uh, a stein of mead, and I shall tell you a tale. <laughs> this is the podcast here at the Critically Acclaimed Network, where you control the conversation. By emailing us. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic for the purposes of this particular podcast. You may call me Rockmeister McCool. In fact, we insist that you do. And uh, uh, I don't insist. That's do. not something I insist on. I insist. Uh, but it, it's pretty simple. You, uh, Our listeners can email us anytime they want. Uh, the email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, and uh, we might reach your email on an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. Maybe even this one. I don't know. We haven't recorded it yet. Well, we're recording it right now. Although I digress. We, we do have a rule that if, if by coincidence, somebody writes in while we're recording the episode, mm-hmm. that yeah. one gets right on the, the we, podcast. It jumps right to the top of the pile. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's only happened a few times. But it has happened. It has happened. It has happened. And, so we, maybe and we record at really weird hours, so no matter yeah. where you are in the never world. Never consistent. Yeah, never it's... the same day. Never the same time. <laughs> we, it's like if you, we're like the A-team. If you can find us. <laughs> if you can email us at the right time. Yeah. If, if you can find them doesn't sound like... It's not like a good contingency plan. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh no, I'm in trouble. I, I really need the A-team. Well, shit, I can't find them. <laughs> what do you mean they can't find them? They're in a big fucking van with a red stripe on it. It's it's not so big that you can see it from space or anything. Well, it's are like... you in space? You don't need to worry about it. You're at street I level, not... like the van. That's fine. <laughs> there are a lot of vans about, and yeah. you can't see them all. Yeah, they don't all have red stripes. Anyway, uh, so yeah, that's how it works. Letters at criticallyclaimed.net is the email address, and... Uh, write in, ask us whatever you want to ask us. We're pretty open. We don't have time to read every email, but we try to get through as many as we can uh, every single week. And so we don't like to dilly-dally right at the front of the podcast. So without further ado, Whitney, mm. take us away. All right, here's a letter from Toralf. Hello, Toralf. Um, dear Bibbs and Rockmeister McCool, uh, I was inspired by the first question in uh, We've Got Mail number 81. Um, ah. I don't remember the... I don't keep track of it the It was numbers. last week. Okay. Uh, about the high school curriculum, I have no idea why I didn't ask you guys sooner. I've been trying to come up with an idea for something similar uh, for quite some time, and I would like your input. Okay. Uh, let me set the scene first. You can. Uh, I teach a 12th grade computer science course in a German high school, and it's the last seven weeks before summer break. In a normal year, students would already be done with everything, but since we had to close the school amidst the pandemic, they're only, uh, they are only done with their exams, but still need to complete some courses uh, in which the grade is used to complete compute the final grade on their diploma. Uh, I already have all the grades I need, so for the next seven weeks, I have to deal with 17 or 18-year-olds who have just completed the toughest array of exams in their entire life, at least so far. They have most of their grades, and it will be hard for them to get to some boring theoretical computer science stuff. Well, exams are over. Jeez, that's... The last... I remember remember the last day of high school, like, everyone's already graduated. They can't, like, ungraduate you, but you have to show up anyway. And literally every class, the teacher's at the chalkboard doing hangman. With, like, the whole class. Uh, Was that uh, well, just me? Well, we we never did Hangman, although uh, our... Hangman s- is a game. It's a word game, if yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, the the, the term we, we refer to is senioritis. You're, mm. you're, like, 
nearing the end of high school. You're yeah. a senior in high school, and you're, yeah. you're kind of secure as what's going on. You're, you're definitely you're graduating. You've already been accepted to college, I'll, and you're kind of just spinning your wheels. Yeah. You, you, there's not a lot of information you can really put in your head and yeah. from a school situation. We're just so fucking done Kind of this. slack off. There are some people who just go full, just stop going to school after yeah. a while. Um but yeah, getting getting a 17-year-old's attention after they've already taken their tests might be uh, difficult. Right. So instead, I came up with the idea of watching movies that are related to computer science in some way. The list of movies at the end of this email is uh, pretty much complete, but other ideas are, of course, welcome. Hmm. My main problem is that I don't just want to watch a movie to entertain them. I also want to link it somehow to computer science itself. Understood. So after we watch the movie, I want to discuss discuss it using the following questions. How different was the state of tech in the movies that we're watching? Uh, what do we use? What do we still use? What don't we still use? Which hardware piece is so alien to you that the teacher has to explain it? Uh, how are the computer nerds slash geeks slash hackers portrayed in this movie? What are the differences to the current representation of nerds, geeks, hackers? Uh, did you find any influences on films you know that might have come from this movie? Since I have a technical background, I have no idea if this is enough uh, or will even work. I'm not qualified to do a full film analysis and help with understanding these movies. But watching some of the older stuff might broaden their horizons. Any mm. input you guys might have is greatly appreciated. As always, keep up the good work and stay safe. Best regards, Toralf. Okay. So here's the list of films. Mm. Category one, high school students in the 1980s, Tron and War Games. War Games is absolutely yeah, required. Ab- yeah, War absolutely games, War Games. War Games holds up really good. If you've never seen mm. War Games, Matthew Broderick plays a young computer hacker who like thinks he's hacking into a video game company mm. and plays a game called Thermonuclear War, not realizing he just hacked like NORAD. Hacked NORAD, yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's not actually controlling uh, So he accidentally, everything. thinking he was playing a video game, he accidentally started World War Three. It's really yeah. good, actually. Uh, category number two, power is bad. Sneakers, yay! yay. Sneakers, uh, enemy of the state and antitrust. I've hmm. never actually seen antitrust. Uh, oh, I, but I enemy of the state's quite good. I've I've seen antitrust and I haven't seen enemy of the state. Okay. Um, antitrust uh, is, came out in like the early two thousands, right when there was a lot of concern about what Bill Gates was doing to sort of monopolize the computer world. Yeah, and the vil- the villain in that piece is he's played by a, a Tim Robbins, and he's all he's pretty much just Bill Gates, like he's yeah. the bad guy of that movie. Uh, and category number three, hackers in the nineteen nineties. Yeah. Uh, hackers, of course. Well, you have to, uh, yeah. Johnny Mnemonic and Office Space. And category mm. four, smart people are weird. The imitation game and a beautiful mind. Okay. Um, hmm. And that's, that's, it. Re- that's the list. And, and that's the list. Okay. Uh, a couple of things come to mind right mm. off the bat. The first one, and it's the oldest movie I can think of that is A, really good, B, deals with the subject of computers, and deals with the subject of computers in a thoughtful and entertaining way. And that is the Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn movie Desk Set, mm. uh, which is a really good movie. Catherine Hepburn plays a woman who is in charge of like a research department. Uh, and basically what happens is when people need information, they call her and her various assistants, and they do the research, and then they get back to them on the phone. And they're just yeah. incredibly smart, well-educated people. And Spencer Tracy has been hired to replace them with a computer, and they have to prove that they're smarter than a computer in the 50s. Hmm. Um, and it's sweet, thoughtful, good movie. Um, comes to good conclusions. I really, really like that one a lot. That's the first one that comes to mind. Yeah. Um, uh, the Social Network... Yeah, I think is 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 a really excellent film. Um, 
That's more about sort of the social implication of computers more than it is about computer science. But mm. I think that's a, a good thing to connect it to. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think of other like good computer movies that are specifically about well, it's, uh, I, I'm, like computer hackers that are good. What about computer uh, hackers? You know, like, there's a movie. It's good. Hmm. I'm not in love with it, but it's it's pretty good. The Imitation Game is interesting. No, they, they mentioned the Imitation oh, Game. Is that actually yeah. on there? I missed that. One. Sorry uh, about that. If you're talking about computer science, uh, Michael Apted made a World War II thriller called Enigma, which is about the invention of the Enigma machine. Yeah. Uh, and that, and it's, it's about all the computer scientists who had to get together and try to come up with an unbreakable code, and that one's really interesting. Uh, uh, I, w- I would recommend a really wonderful film called simply Computer Chess, uh, which it's uh, Andrew Bujalski who did, uh, uh, like, was one of the forerunners of the Mumblecore movement. Yeah. And... Uh, it's it's shot in sort of a 1980s style. It looks really um, computer uh, or um, really authentically 1980s, like it was shot on on home video. Mm-hmm. It looks like a documentary, uh, and it's about teaching computers how to play chess. And it is fictional, mm. uh, and and it looks like a documentary. But then there's like some weird things with like electronic brains and stuff. Uh, okay. I I I like computer chess just because it's yeah. such an off the wall film. Uh, oh, here's an interesting one. Mm. Um, the original Westworld, which mm. in the 1970s, you, you've probably seen the HBO show, uh, but the original 1970s movie Westworld was about a futuristic amusement park where it's full of robots. The robots are designed to impersonate cowboys and. Mm. Other folks in the Old West. And uh, there's a computer virus that causes the machines to go haywire and start killing everybody. Here's the thing. When Westworld came out, the idea of a computer virus had not been invented yet. And in fact, Westworld is one of the first pieces of media to explain the concept of a computer (laughs) virus. And there's even a scene in the movie like, is that possible? So that's one where it's kind of like yeah, kind of predicting the future, but now it feels really dated, and I think that's kind of interesting. And this this movie was panned when it came out, but I'm actually I'm mm. like the only person in the world who's fond of it. But mm. the Johnny Depp film Transcendence, yeah, you uh, are the only one. Is, yeah. I am the only one. Uh, yeah. I, I think it doesn't really function as a thriller, but it, in terms of the toxic topics it brings up. Uh, mm. I think are really, really fascinating uh, because it does sort of ask the question, what is the ultimate end goal of technology? Yeah. Uh, and can it advance so fast that it will uh, cause a panic? Yeah. Uh, can, if, if we suddenly have access to the most advanced technology, if we could just like tomorrow resurrect the dead, mm. would we be excited about that techno- technology mm. or would we, would we freak out? Well, and yeah. transcendence is about how a lot of these advances in technology always look mal- malevolent. Yeah. Uh, when put in pr- into practice, but they're actually just uh, in like this 2001 sort of way, pointing toward a world where we're essentially using technology to transform ourselves into gods. Yeah. Uh, and all of that stuff is in that movie, and mm-hmm. I think uh, all of those ideas make it an interesting film. Well, so I actually like the film. Along that line, I would recommend uh, the film Ex Machina, mm. uh, which is about a guy who invents an artificially intelligent robot and enlists some just hapless guy at his company mm. to try to decide if it passes the Turing test or not. Mm. But he has decided to make it specifically female, but they're two men who know nothing about women. Yeah, and so, so they're like, trying to decipher the female mind, not realizing via, that they're... Via misogyny. Via, yeah. A, via misogyny, yeah. and B, not realizing that they're dealing with an artificial intelligence that is beyond those labels. So when you look at it, I, after you've seen the film, you look at it from like, 
the artificial mm-hmm. intelligence's perspective, and you realize that all of that was just them doing a bunch of navel gazing. Um, on a similar level, a movie that's kind of like that, but a lot sweeter. Uh, there's an '80s movie that gets overlooked a lot called Daryl. Uh, Daryl's not about computer science. It kind it's of about is, a, it kind of is. Like a kid. Who, it's more about the kid. It is, but the mm. the kid, the, the the plot of the movie, and you're going to catch on to it really, really fast. But the idea is, it's a kid who's actually the part, the the subject of a government experiment to create like the ultimate artificially intelligent computer brain, and they decide to do that by putting it in the brain of a child. Mm-hmm. And there's a bit at the beginning where the kid, you don't know if the brain's a computer yet, but it's obvious nowadays. Uh, the kid ends up, like, getting lost and getting, like, raised by a family for a while. And it's all about, like, what are we teaching computers? And when you look at various experiments with artificial intelligence, the way that people mm-hmm. interact with artificial intelligence affects the behavior and the sort of uh, the way the artificial intelligence will end up. Like, yeah. if you treat it with violence, it will become violent. If you treat it with kindness, it becomes kind and that kind of thing. What what i found is that it's it's really diff- because uh computers are so sterile yeah and because they are real and when uh they're no longer sort of treated as an existential threat just because everyone has one now yeah. they're just sort of a t- an everyday tool you use them to go shopping yeah and uh that it's it's really hard to find good horror movies about technology yeah uh, a, a lot of movies are trying to tap into a technological fear that a lot of people have and they usually whiff it in a really embarrassing sort of way, mm-hmm. and as such, the <laughs> movies are really entertaining. Often they're very uh, stupid and great. The best yeah. one, of course, is... Well, I was going to say Demon Seed. Oh, I was uh, going to say Unfriended. Uh, well, uh, more, more recently, Unfri- God, Unfriended is spectacular. Wait, is, is it Unfriended? Uh, or which, which, that's the one where... Uh, oh, no, the, it was... It was uh, Friend request. Friend request. There's Friend request a, is the stupid one. Unfriended, Unfriended takes place entirely the, uh, on a computer screen. It's the Skype screen. It's yeah. like a bunch of Skype calls that end up getting haunted or whatever, and mm. they're they're watchable, but they're not very good. Friend request is fucking stupid. Friend request. Is, oh god, it's wonderfully. I, stupid. I would actually <laughs> recommend because it, it's going to grab a, a class's attention. Yeah, it's really really bad. So you're going to have a lot of just like guffaws. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the table and, here. I, I'm sorry about that. Uh, and. Uh, as such, I think it's really, really entertaining. Friend Request is about uh, the popular girl at school with a lot of Facebook friends. It's not Facebook. It's like a fictionalized version of it. But it's Facebook, yeah. It's, and, uh, and this is their only currency, is how many Facebook friends they have. And in fact, uh, as the... She befriends the, like the, the quote, the weird girl. Like this, this the girl who has of, only one friend on Facebook. one friend on Facebook and yeah. she befriends this girl on Facebook and start and like talks to her in person a couple times mm. but she's a little too weird then so she so she decides to unfriend this girl oh gosh that unleashes her wrath she like <laughs> she ends up like putting her soul in a dark mirror and they end up hacking into put, the she, Facebook code and finds like mystic uh like yeah. Wiccan runes she, she possesses inside Facebook. the code yeah she possesses Facebook it's and that affects the real world and affects the main character's friend count. And there's a, a, <laughs> a, ticker, counter. a ticker throughout the film where we get to see how many friends she's losing as if when she gets to zero, like she just won't exist anymore. Um, it's, those, it's a it's dumb, so it's a dumb premise and it's even more stupidly told. It's very fun to watch though. That's very true. Though, uh, one last notice before mm-hmm. we move on. I, I think one of the better films about computers, maybe not computer science specifically, but a film that illustrates the way that we live online and how if you pull at the threads of us, we've left mm-hmm. all of these traces, uh, is a really, really great thriller called Searching. 
Hmm. Uh, starring John Cho as a single father whose daughter goes missing and in order to try to find out more about where she could have gone he starts exploring her social media and he realizes that she's been living online a different life than she's been living with him Hmm. Um, and I was impressed at how like non-judgy it gets it's just basically him realizing that he never knew his daughter Um, and um, I think it's A it's just a great thriller it's really really smartly written and John Cho's amazing and the editing's really good but um on top of it all, it really is pretty thoughtful about how we use the uh, the internet and how we use social media without really thinking about it and how mm. we don't really notice that we leave our fingerprints on everything. Yeah, yeah. And that might actually yield a pretty interesting conversation. Um, so hopefully that gives you some suggestions. Um, mm. Yeah, and it's, that's basically what we got. Oh, and, uh, and we live in public. Oh, yeah, that's a good. That's one. a 2000, that's a good 2009-ish yeah. uh, documentary yeah. film about... Yeah. Uh, about sort of the early early days of streaming and how the people who all all of the people who created these social media sites are all sociopaths. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, all right, moving on. Uh, here's a letter from Mike. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, hello, Bibbs and Rockmeister McCool. My name is Mike. Yes, one of the many Mikes out there. Ooh. I'm a longtime listener, and this is my first time writing in. Oh, I love letters like this. Um, there's so much I wanted to write in about, but I'll take one take it one step at a time. Uh, I discovered I was on the autism spectrum with Asperger's syndrome while in college. I have had a mental disability for years growing up, and they couldn't figure out what it was. It wasn't until my professor noticed that I was exhibiting the traits of it in class, so I got tested, and that's what it is. Better late than never. Very uh, true. Here, here. Um, yeah. When somebody posed a question about autistic portrayal in film and television a little while ago, one movie popped into mind right away. It's the 2005-2006 film Mozart and the Whale, starring Josh Hartnett and Rada Mitchell. It was oh, written by know. Ron Bass, the hmm. same writer as Rain Man. Now, before you say anything, this is a much better depiction of the autism spectrum. It's also a romance film with two autistic characters and how that relationship blooms. I definitely associated with the behaviors that both characters displayed. It's honestly the best when it comes to portraying what it is like to be autistic. Wow. People will probably say this... It's the same as Rain Man, but I think that this time, especially in the 2000s, he knew a little bit more about autism and how people with autism act compared to the 1980s when Rain Man and even the 1981 uh, made-for-TV film Bill came out. Uh, This film was based on the story of Jerry Newport and Mary Newport. They were profiled in 1995 in an L.A. Times article. This is an underrated film, in my opinion. I I remember when it came out, but I have not seen Mozart. I remember seeing the poster and never actually watched it. That's that's really good to know that it's that good. Thank you for that. Uh, Funny enough, the same year as Mozart and the Whale, another film focusing on disabled characters was The Ringer, starring Johnny Knoxville. Uh, The Special Olympics endorsed the film since it featured it was a featured part of the film uh and they had final say on the script is it the best film not exactly is it funny some bits are especially from the actual people with intellectual disabilities who were cast in the film it's produced by the Farrelly brothers and if that's your kind of humor it's worth checking out once um at once uh i saw this when uh, i was in the special olympics for several sports Hmm. wow all right and i was like oh wow a film about us featuring people like us that's pretty cool uh, the Farrelly brothers have actually been very strong advocates for uh, putting disabled people in film. Yeah, they actually uh, have been yeah. for a long time. Yeah, yeah. and um, they make these big gross-out fil- uh, like gross-out comedies about people just at their worst behavior mm-hmm. and human fluids. It's all really disgusting, and yet there's like heart and responsibility yeah. underneath a lot of what well, they're, they're doing. Not, they're not particularly. They're not like. They're generally, I wouldn't call them ableist. Mm. Uh, uh, films, even though they, I wouldn't call them all good or progressive or thoughtful, mm. but they do definitely have. There's at least a streak of something. In yeah, there. They, they they care about stuff. Mm. Um, yeah. 
Uh, and lastly, I can't forget to mention a recent 2021 episode of television that mentions the Special Olympics and features an intellectual disabled character. It's within Power Rangers Dino Fury. <laughs> nice! <laughs> episode 5, uh, titled Winning Attitude, where Izzy... The Green Power Ranger has her cousin, Lily, train her for an upcoming cross-country race. Lily mentions about how how uh, the medal she got about the medal she got at the Special Olympics. Lily is played by real-life Special Olympian athlete Sarah Dalton. Uh, as a Power Rangers podcaster and an autistic person, <laughs> I thought that was pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, all right, that's enough for this, this email. I hope this email is helpful in mentioning a few things from the perspective of an autistic person. Uh, thank you for keeping me company as I work. It makes time and productivity go by pa- faster while listening to you guys. Uh, expect more emails to come, Yay. Mike. That's great. Well, thanks thank for writing in, Mike. And thank yeah. you. And that's actually really cool. I got to. Uh, I, I seriously hadn't heard about Mozart and the Whale since it came out, so that's really okay. exciting. And um, it's actually really exciting to know that like television for kids is handling these issues better than they did when we were young. Uh, well, yeah. I uh, kids TV at least when it's trying, yeah. uh, can, can be incredibly progressive. Yes. And uh, we, if you look back at sort of the, the shows I was watching when I was like in junior high school or so, there was this big uh, push to put a lot of diversity into the cartoon shows that we were watching at the time. It, it was it done in the most graceful way? No, it was probably done in the least graceful possible way. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point where. Uh, the the phrase token minority was being tossed around because the leads were still the white male characters, but there was now one black supporting character uh, and it it always felt really, really artificial. And the, the nadir of all of this was, I guess there's two, there's the Burger King kids club and there's captain planet and the planeteers where, where diversity was sort of like the only reason they were writing these characters and they weren't doing anything to like actually, Make them exciting yeah, characters. Make, yeah. Well, make them exciting characters and make sure they were accurately representing the cultures they claim to hail from. Yeah. And I didn't look it up, but I know a lot of them, these characters were played by white actors anyway, so it was a little bit self-defeating. But their heart was kind of in the right place. I mean, it was a step in the right direction, yeah. maybe a very, very small step, but at least some yeah. effort was being made. So and my I, point is, that I, regardless, my point is this. Mm-hmm. Mistakes were definitely made in our generation and generations previous, and I'm sure mistakes are being made now, but it it's encouraging to think that they've actually been moving forward steadily. Yeah. And there's a lot of kids' shows that I have seen, sometimes bits and pieces, sometimes the show's good enough to watch. Uh, we watched the Babysitter's Club show on Netflix. It's, it's a new one, right? Yeah, the yeah. new one. It's really good. <laughs> like, it's really well-written and very sharp, and it's actually like... Um, deals with a lot of issues in really positive ways. There's this one mm-hmm. episode about uh, a babysitter, and uh, they find out that the child that they're babysitting is trans, and it's totally cool. And there is, like, that's basically mm-hmm. it. And when the kid ends up getting sick and having to go to a hospital, and she, this little girl has to give the doctors a dressing down for not using the right pronouns. And it's yeah, like, yeah. It's, that's really cool. Actually, you handled <laughs> that really well. You know, it was kind of okay. nice. Um, we'll, we'll, and we'll see how awkward that is in 20 years. Well, yeah. I'm sure there's always room for improvement, yeah, but at yeah. least it's improving. It's improving. Yeah. And, uh, little, little steps are better than no steps. Yeah. Um, next letter. Yeah. What's uh, here's a letter from Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. Hi. Uh, dearest Bibbs and Whitney, I'm writing in to tell you, uh, that a suggestion of yours has greatly improved my life. Oh, That's really nice. Oh my god, thank you. Uh, Earlier this month, I finally sat down to watch the wonderful concert film Stop Making Sense. Yay! This was a transcendent experience (laughs) for me. Uh, How does he start? I'm going to play you a song. It goes like this. Hello. I've got a tape I want to play. I got a tape I want to play. There it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's so great. 
Uh, everything about the performances raised my spirits so much I've never seen a better showcase of a band. Uh, I was, of course, familiar with the Talking Heads before this, but I hadn't really considered myself a fan. After watching the film, I spent the rest of the week marathoning every Talking Heads album I could find, <laughs> annoying the hell of my, out of my family in the process. How, how can you annoy somebody with Talking Heads music? Just, no, there's no way. There's, there's, well, there's you know what? When you start noticing how many movies put This Must Be The Place in it... I mean, if you play, if you play yeah. like the same... If you play Psycho Killer and This Must Be The Place over and, and over it, again... Yeah. Maybe that'll get a little tedious, but they've mm-hmm. their music's really great. Like um, even even the stuff that isn't a single is really really yeah. amazing. Uh, now I'm just dying to know if there are any other concert films that you know of that are anywhere near as good. Thanks again for everything you do. Gratefully yours, Lindsay. Uh, the two, short oh. answer from me. Uh, no, there are no other concert films. That's gonna stop making sense. <laughs> well, you're you're a big Talking Heads fan. I'm a gigantic Talking Heads fan. Uh, if, you're not, if you're not familiar with the Talking Heads, it's a band that was headlined by uh, David Byrne, but all the contributors are really amazing. Um, and, uh, yeah, they did a concert film in the 80s from director Jonathan Demme, who would go on to direct The Silence of the Lambs and Beloved and a whole bunch of other... Uh, he'd already done some narrative features by that point, but he would really? go on to bigger things. He started in exploitation. He did, like, caged heat and yeah. stuff like that. like a lot of people. He mm-hmm. went to the Roger Corman School of Filmmaking, but he did this amazing concert film with the Talking Heads that was this very concept concert where it starts off with just the lead singer and acoustic guitar and a tape, and a tape player. Mm-hmm. And then with every new song they added a new element to the stage they added the backup singers and they added another guitar player then they added the bass player then they added the Mm -hmm. drums until finally halfway through the movie you've got the entire band on there and now what and now they're gonna get really fucking high concept and they get the second (laughs) half gets really bizarre it's amazing music beautiful performance it's great if you don't know the talking heads watch it you're gonna become a fan if you know them and you haven't seen it watch it you're gonna like them more Mm -hmm. um but uh, for my mind, for my money, and I haven't seen every concert film, obviously, but for my money, that's the best concert film I've ever seen. There are okay. other good concert films I like, but hmm. that's my number one. Yeah. What, what about you? Uh, I'm not going to recommend Woodstock. You know no. about Woodstock. Um, and see the long version. There's a four-hour film yeah. cut version that is just yeah. Woodstock. Edited and, by uh, Martin Scorsese. That's right. Or co-edited, anyway. Mm. Uh, yeah, see that one. Um, I've seen a lot of good concert movies uh, go from all all walks and all, yeah. all around. Um, some oh gosh, where to start? Uh, I'll say this: I I worked at a movie theater called the New Art, and we always got uh, like Neil Young movies. Oh no, uh, yeah, well, that's, that's Neil, Neil Young's done a, a bunch of concert movies, and yeah. um, and I always hated them <laughs> because uh, I I would hear latter day Neil Young uh, just sort of like wailing through the doorways, and he and he sound. There, he sounds like mating cats. All right, he he just. I'm Neil Young, uh, and I never got it. I never got the Neil Young thing, until I saw the Neil Young film Rust Never Sleeps, where it's young uh, Neil Young, oh, okay. and it's like it has like some of his folkier stuff, but it's a lot more like uh, forwardly political. It's a lot more rocking. It's like okay, hmm. I understand Neil Young now. This is awesome. Rust Never Sleeps was really really good. Uh, in terms of. Uh, like music I'm into Metallica through the never is an awesome concert film because that's, they, that's the one that's also kind of a weird, like post-apocalyptic narrative. Or something. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, Dane DeHaan actor, Dane DeHaan is in it and they yeah sort of form this narrative around, uh, he's a, he's a roadie and he's like out in the audience. Mm. So there, there's live concert footage of Metallica playing and they're just rocking it cause they're Metallica. And then it'll occasionally cut back to Dane Duhan who wanders out of the, the arena and finds that it's the post-apocalypse. Like it's like the purge yeah. and people are dying and there's all these like 
weirdos with masks. There's a guy on a horse with a sledgehammer who's like <laughs> murdering people. And that one's really, really awesome. Uh, I'm surprised you haven't is, mentioned Gimme Shelter yet. Uh, Gimme Shelter is a fascinating documentary. It's more interesting for the things that aren't the music, actually. Mm, okay. Uh, it's I wouldn't call that necessarily a performance film. But yeah, Gimme Shelter is about uh, Altamont, the concert that was the same... Uh, the same summer as uh, as Woodstock, yeah. but it was the dark Woodstock because a guy died. Uh, yeah. it, it was really badly staged. It was this really, really tiny stage area. Nobody could see or hear them. Everybody got really, really restless. And to make matters completely awful, the Stones, in their <laughs> rather finite wisdom, yeah. decided to hire Hell's Angels as security. Yeah. And the Hell's Angels, Angels were showing up with pool cues like specially weighted pool cues at a concert just so they could beat guys. And, yeah. uh, and there was an altercation that led to a stabbing, which was captured on camera. And, uh, uh. another really, uh, re- kind of shocking moment in that uh, documentary is that we actually get to see film of the editing process. And so we get to see how Mick Jagger responds to that. And he's looking at it and he looks up at the camera. He's like, well, this is it, isn't it? Music's over. And, and that that was it was sort of like the end of an era. Give me shelter. Rent, yeah. Mentions that. Uh, if you're into new wave music, like the Talking Careful. Heads, uh, by all means check out Erga Music War. I talk ah, about it a yes. lot. Whitney's a huge fan. A huge fan of Erga Music War because it it's a lot of uh, kind of the left of the dial uh, new wave stuff that was going on in the early 1980s, and it has some of like some really recognizable acts like the Police, like Blondie, but it also has some really uh, oddball acts like Klaus Nomi uh, and Oingo Boingo and the Cramps. Uh, there's a band in there called Surf Punks, and uh, I picked up a Surf Punks record, and they're they're punks who sing about surf. Great. Like it's it's there's there's sort of like a, a snarky punk rock version of the Beach Boys where all of their songs are about surfing or going to the beach, but they're all naughty and a little bit dirty, yeah, uh, and and really a, like a little harder edged. Uh, yeah, they show up in Erg, a music war. Um, I, I mentioned Klaus Nomi. Klaus Nomi, uh, if you've seen him, you'd recognize him. He oh, he, yeah. look, he looks like a vampire from space. Like he came up with this big, uh, elaborate like metal suit that he would wear on stage, and he had odd hair and makeup, and he sang opera like opera, like he sang pop mm. tunes, but with like an operatic falsetto. Um, really, really interesting guy. There's a documentary just just about him. Uh, the movie's rated R, and you don't know why it's rated R until the cramps come on stage and Lux Interior is wearing pants that are four sizes <laughs> too small for him, and, just, and you know ends up like filleting the mic on stage. Good God, it's it's such an amazing concert film yeah. just because of the, the the wonderful weird variety of acts. And uh, one more, and this one's interesting because this is a band that even after the the movie, I'm not like the biggest fan of, mm. but I think it's a really good example of how when you look through the right lens, when you look. When someone is telling the story of the band mm-hmm. and their concert, uh, they become the greatest band ever, uh, mm-hmm. and that would be uh, Martin Scorsese's *The Last uh, Last Waltz*. Oh yeah, oh of course the last Waltz. Last Waltz yeah. is the it's the farewell concert of a band called the band, good band, just not my favorite, uh, and um, it's this huge epic thing. Like it's a Thanksgiving concert, and they feed the entire audience turkey, and uh, and they end up bringing out like. Eric Clapton and Muddy Waters and Bob Dylan and Joni Mitchell. And <laughs> it's just really, 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 really huge. And um, yeah, it's just a, it's a stunning concert film. It really, really is. I don't know if it's going to make you a fan of the band, but I think you're going to be a fan of The Last Waltz at least. Yeah. So that's, some, that's something. 
And and if you like uh, jam bands, uh, go for A Poem as a Naked Person. It's a oh. Les Blank film. Okay. Yeah, it's about uh, Leon Russell. Hmm. And uh, you get to see like Leon Russell and Willie Nelson and uh, just a, a, a lot of people that you're your parents or your grandparents listened to while they were really high. And, uh, and this movie is like really kind of very, like you can smell the, the, the stench coming off the screen. Um, but I watched that recently. I actually got to, I think I reviewed that one for, uh, for oh. crave back in the day, but yeah, oh, it's a concert film called a poem as a naked person. I, li- nice. I like that one. All right. Well, mm. hopefully that helps. Uh, and if anyone else has any other suggestions for like truly mm. epic concert movies that we forgot about, make sure you email us letters at critically uh, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe we'll talk about another episode. Let's move on. Uh, here's a letter from Greg. Hello, Greg. Hi, Greg. Um, hey, Bibbs and Dwayne Johnson McCool. I'll take it. Um, <laughs> I get it. After the news of the future Cancel Too Soon show Jupiter's Legacy. Mm. Oh, we'll get to Jupiter's Legacy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've been wondering about at, uh, adaptations of Mark Millar comics. He's an entertaining writer, but a fair amount of his material comes off pretty trashy. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you think any of his comics to movies fare well critically? There's Kick-Ass, Kick-Ass 2, uh, the Kingsman movies, Wanted, and Captain America Civil War. Am I missing one? Do you think any of them are good? Uh, Captain America Civil War, really? Yeah, he was uh, writing for Marvel at the time. And he's actually written some very good Marvel comics. I really liked his run on Ultimate Fantastic Four. Mm. Um, But uh, yeah, Civil War was originally uh, a miniseries that Mark Millar was writing. And the version Mm. that was in the comics was very different than the version of the film. Yeah. Yeah. um, The version of the comics was more about forcing superheroes to reveal their identities to the public. And uh, therefore it became like a sort of a privacy issue. Whereas in the, uh, and and deep seated into that was the idea that superheroes should have accountability for their actions in Mm. case they screw something up, which they should. That seems like pretty straightforward. And the movie, if if you're team cap, you're, you're, you're a psychopath. And and the the movie Uh, uh, kind of cut that to the quick. He also wrote the original comic book series that Logan was loosely based based on. Oh, okay. So that is definitely a good Mark Logan is great. Yeah, I think um, they distilled the ideas of his old man Logan story mm. into something that was uh, a little sharper uh, mm. than... Um, because the comic is, involves like all these other characters, like the Hulk shows up and Hawkeye. Yeah, right, right. And, th- and that's fun, but what I appreciated about Logan is it kind of did feel like the last superhero movie mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of ways. And yeah. I think they got away with it. Like, they actually earned that elegiac, unforgiven kind of vibe. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that movie, that that's a good Mark at Miller. I, I would have been okay if there were no, no comic book movies after Logan. It's like, this yeah. is the death of it all. And there have been good um, ones since, but yeah, that was yeah. a good one. Yeah. Um, as for... I became familiar with Mark Millar's name because of uh, films like Kick-Ass and Kingsman because I hate those movies, yeah. uh, both Kick- Kick-Ass and The Kingsman, because there is, uh, you, you describe them as trashy. I think there's they're just morally bankrupt films that celebrate sociopathy and mm-hmm. violence and try to make all kind all forms of violence are just really really cool in their yeah. universe in a way that is not at all self-aware. Yeah. Uh there's a scene in Kick-Ass where um Hit Girl who is I think she's just like 8 or 9 no, she's I, young. She's right? I don't think she's that young, but she's quite young. She's yeah, she's, she's like she's like maybe 12. Okay, think, maybe yeah, maybe she's around. But she's, she's very young. She's very young and her father is killed and 
she's essentially being raised in a cult of violence. Mm-hmm. Like the first time we see her, her dad is shooting her uh, right in the chest. So she can feel what it's like to be shot at uh, while wearing a Kevlar. Yeah. She's wearing a bulletproof vest. This is what it feels like to get shot while wearing a, a bulletproof vest. Yeah, and it's a shocking scene. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be a shocking scene, but it's also But they're not playing really, it for laughs. They're not really dealing way. with just how grotesque it is. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I think, not just I, irresponsible. I think it's, I just think it's in poor taste. I'm watching this and I'm like, I see what you're getting at. It is like, quote unquote, tough or like, you know, gritty or whatever, but it's also really immature and pointless. And I did nothing for me. I feel like there's a way to, to stage that scene where it could be sort of played off as sort of like a dark joke. But it's it's not played off as a dark joke. It's played off as something that actually is, oh, no, that's actually really practical. Yeah. And there's, like, just bits of humor in it. Yeah. And uh, by the time we get to the end where that same character who has now lost her father goes on a murder rampage, yeah. it should be, be seen as this really kind of horrible moment. We get to see a 12-year-old girl murdering a bunch of adult men. Mm. But then they play Joan Jett's bad reputation, and like, they the stage it. It's the coolest thing anyone's ever thing. done. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing with... Um, what do they play during the church murder scene in Kingsman? They, they play fucking Freebird. Is it Freebird? Yeah. If you were ever playing all of Freebird, your movie's gone off the rails. Yeah. I know people like the ending of The Devil's Rejects. I also yeah. like the movie The Devil's Rejects. Yeah. That movie goes off the fucking rails, doesn't it? <laughs> but but that's kind of the point. Those are yeah. chaotic, murderous characters. Yeah, and the, when your heroic character, Colin Firth, is like... Because he's not just killing people, he's killing people in this incredibly glorified fashion mm. to one of the greatest rock songs ever. And it's and on top of it all, he's killing people who the audience is being led to believe, like to to hate. He's dealing mm. with these like extreme right wing hate groups mm. or whatever, as though that that makes them disposable like mm. targets and. The idea that we're supposed to be going, yeah, kill all those people we disagree with is repugnant. And I I really turned me off of that movie, like really, really bad. Like I wasn't really feeling it anyway. But at that point, I'm like, this is you. You were given the keys to a kingdom here. You were given carte blanche to do anything you wanted. And what you chose to do was be blisteringly cynical and immature about yeah, it. Yeah. And that pisses me off. And I still haven't seen The Kingsman Golden Circle Due to lack of interest. One day maybe I'll check it out. Maybe I'll like it. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, The Kingsman pissed me off. Kick-Ass mm-hmm. 1 and 2. I'm not going to say there, isn't, there aren't things that I like about them. But I mm-hmm. don't think they're good movies. Um, I think Logan is great. I think Civil War understands what parts to adapt into that movie. I think they did a really good job adapting that. It's still kind of overwritten and a big old mess. But mm-hmm. at the very least... Um, you know, you can condense it into one film. It doesn't feel like this big sprawling saga that got yeah. truncated too much. And Wanted, they turned into a completely different thing. Maybe it's yeah. for the best having revisited Wanted. That movie is also that, that comic book series is also morally bankrupt. But the idea behind the comic book series was that uh, superheroes won a long time or ago. Super villains won. Sorry, super villains. Super yeah. villains won a long time ago, and they've gone into hiding and they've destroyed all the superheroes and they've convinced the world that superheroes didn't exist. Uh, and uh, they just get to do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Bad guys run the world, uh, and that's kind of an interesting premise. And the movie decided to make it about there's a secret society of hitmen who follow who take directions from a magical loom, and that loom tells them which bad people to kill so that mm-hmm. the future will be better. And no, we're not really going to deal with why Hitler was allowed to keep going. Like it's <laughs> boy is that a stupid, stylish, mm-hmm. but boy is that a stupid fucking movie. Uh, 
uh, Alonso Duralde brought this to my attention, but evidently Stephen Fry wrote a novel about time travelers who go back in time to sort of like murder Earth's tyrants. Yeah. And the idea was, well, why didn't you go back and uh, and murder Hitler? And the idea is he was actually the best choice. Like yeah, the, 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 in yeah, all these I, other I timelines, the there's like, like Someone people who are like, like hundreds of times worse than Hitler, like destroyed the yeah. planet. So I, in killing <laughs> off all of those people, like the, it was, that's, that's, that's it's really, a fun, it's a fun way to sort of uh, address what is essentially a big plot hole in all of these time travel basically, stories. Basically if time travel exists, Exists, there's no reason for Hitler to have ever existed, nor for that reason mm. a, a million other horrible human beings. Yeah, so, but like, so Steve, Stephen, time, Stephen Fry was trying to justify that by saying, "Well, okay, if we're gonna if we're gonna play with this premise, then we're gonna say, okay, there's actually like I hate, I much actually worse that. Hitlers." I, I actually hate that because mm. it implies that there's a universe in which, mm. like. That's okay. I understand you're doing it for a plot reason to sort of explain time travel away. But it's also premise. It's It's, also from a comedian. Again, it's also gross. I feel like Mm. you've got infinite number of possibilities, Mm. and you chose a possibility that said, Mm. you know, we're just going to leave Hitler. Like, no, I, I, I think that's a crisis of creativity. But whatever. Maybe if I read the book, it would work. But in in a vacuum, that doesn't work for me at all. I'm reminded of this great bit in the Dead Zone. Where um, uh, Christopher Walken, the, the, the Dead movie, Zone, the Cronenberg film, the Cronenberg film. I actually haven't read the book, but uh, mm-hmm. the uh, the Cronenberg film. Uh, Christopher Walken has seen something horrible happening in the future, and he doesn't know what to do about it. Can I do something about it? I don't know. All I know is I can see the future. So far, everything has gone come to pass. But what if it couldn't? What if I could change it? And he asks a guy. He says, uh, "If you could go back in time and kill Hitler, mm-hmm. uh, would you do it?" And the guy says, "If I could go back in time, mm-hmm. I would go find Hitler." And I would kill Hitler. <laughs> I would do it. I would feel not like that's then it's sort of like again, I'm not saying that that's like necessarily the greatest moral choice in, in the world, but like yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's I feel like it's the I don't know that's mm-hmm. it's such a shitty question, honestly. <laughs> it's a stupid question we think about. We can't go back in time. No, it's it, you know, it, it's, it's just it's, for for academic reasons because yeah. It, and the, the morality here is you would be committing murder. Mm-hmm. You'd be, and you'd be committing uh, a murder on a man who uh, ostensibly hasn't done anything wrong yet. But if you let him live, mm-hmm. he will. And what's, what's the ethics of that? And that's, that's, it's, the, it's, that's it's a, a Star Trek of, question. It's, a fun, you know? it's an ethics question mm-hmm. that ultimately... But the, but the fact is, because you've gone to the extreme of mm-hmm. using Hitler as an example, you've yeah. also created the ultimate forgiveness for going, yeah, I'd do it. Yeah. You know? So like, it's not actually the best example of mm-hmm. this. So... Um, I've, I've heard one, one answer that seemed ethically satisfying to that question uh, in a movie called The Last Supper. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, where, um... You would go back in time and you would try to talk him out of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, would you go back in time and kill Hitler? No, I would not kill Hitler. I, I wouldn't kill. So you just let, let him become Hitler? No, I'd talk him out of it. I yeah. talk to him. I'd engage with him on like as a person, yeah. and make sure he turns into a good man. Yeah, I guide him and I talk to him. Like yeah. I, I, I feel I have enough confidence in my ideas, yeah. uh, and that I would be able to convince him. That's a good movie, The Last Supper. It's it's really smart. Actually, it's, it's, it's also really bitter and cynical, but it's bitter and cynical with a point, and mm. it isn't afraid to point fingers at the people who, for the majority of the movie, the audience is supposed to be laughing with and thinking are cool for doing mm. terrible things. Yeah, and I think that's the kind line that the Mark, a lot of the Mark Millar adaptations are afraid to cross. Yeah, is to point fingers at the characters who are the audience surrogates in a mm. lot of ways, and I think that's. I, I'm not a fan. I haven't seen Jupiter's Legacy. Maybe it's really good. I heard some people really liked it, but we'll probably get to it on Cancel Too Soon. <laughs> like I can after six episodes. Eh. Uh, here's a letter from Dane. 
Hello, Hi. Dane. Hi, Dane. Uh, yo, what's cracking, Count Bibula and Whitney? Don't call me Whitney. No. <laughs> what? No. I got called that a lot, uh, when, mm. like when I was growing up. Um, yeah. For me, comic book movie fatigue has officially set in. Uh, with the saturation of comic book movies and TV shows, it's all feeling the same to me, and honestly, it's exhausting. I cannot watch another story of a muzzled-up man in a cape beating up a guy in a mask. Uh, there are exceptions to the genre that do something different and make a social statement, but they are very few and far between. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, I feel like a lot of comic book movies are teaching young people the wrong lessons that we need to rely on others that are higher up and have power to save us and save our real world in crisis. Pending your thoughts, kind regards, Dane. Uh, sure. I mean, you're allowed to, but here's the deal. Anything that achieves like peak popularity, there are going to be people who just get a little tired of it. And yeah. that's, or even if it's just around a lot. And that's fine. That's your prerogative. And that's totally cool. And people are going to hit that at different times. Some people are never going to hit it. Some people will like, oh, there's like 20 Star Trek TV shows right now. Great. More, please. And they'll be happy with that for the rest of their lives. But for those of us who aren't necessarily, you know, part of the the fanatical cult of these things, and I don't mean that in a negative way, it's perfectly fine to just be a big fan of something. Um, yeah, it's okay to just say, I'm good. I think there's a few too many. Yeah. And they get so much press and have to talk about them constantly or people constantly tweeting about them or every article is about them or framed through that lens. And all we can hear about is like rumors and new trailers and... I personally, and I'm not necessarily speaking for myself here, but it's okay to say that I personally am ready to move on and focus on different kinds of art. Mm. Cool. Yeah. That, that's why we have all these other kinds of art, because there's something for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about growing out of it. That's not really the thing. I find mm. that a little condescending to people like these things, but mm. it's about wanting something else right now. Yeah. Totally cool. Uh, I got, well, the frustrating thing is, however you want to say it, you grew out of it, you lost interest, yeah. you're on, you're, you want different kinds of art right now, whatever yeah. it is, uh, because they have such a high profile and because they yeah. dominate so much of the conversation and so much news and so much of social media, uh, criticizing them at all makes you sound like some kind of maverick or some kind of killjoy. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, how, how dare you ruining it for everybody? No, I just don't want it anymore. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the no. reason. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Uh, you know, I, I had to mute the phrase Spider-Man <laughs> on my uh, on my Twitter because I didn't want to hear about Spider-Man anymore. Did you put hyphen and without hyphen? Yes, I did both. Smart. Yeah, yeah. Spider-Man with a hyphen and Spiderman with one word. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, I've 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 been over it for a while, and some of these movies come along, and yeah, they're good. Yeah. Um, the the big issue I think that uh, a lot of people are finally taking is we're looking at a lot of these popular entertainments, we're wondering why they're appealing, and we're starting to analyze as we should what kind of lessons we're taking from these types of stories. Yeah, and a, a, and that what you mentioned is something that. Uh, a lot of people have criticized superhero movies for. In fact, I think there's a, a recent uh, book of essays. I think it's called "The Sky Is Falling," yeah. about how waiting for a, like a superpowered savior mm -hmm. to fix the world uh, leads to demagoguery and and fascism. Yeah. Which I will, uh, I will I will give real mm -hmm. fast. I want to give a little bit of credit because one of the few movies to actually discuss this and engage with it, although mm -hmm. it doesn't end up coming to a meaningful conclusion about it, mm -hmm. was Batman v Superman. There are there's like this whole yeah. montage of people on the news saying, "Hey, Superman is here." That's actually not a good thing. I I, I want the movie to be about that though. I don't yeah. want it just to be sort of like this introductory statement, yeah. and then they move on to an impenetrable plot. I I would rather yeah. it, 
I'd rather a superhero movie be about ideas. Sure. Uh, just like any movie. I want any movie to be about ideas. Yeah. Uh, ju- just having spectacle is, is not interesting. Action mm-hmm. is boring because it replaces story and ideas with movement. And I think one of the uh, other problems that we run into with a lot of the superhero movies that we have along those lines mm-hmm. is uh, because so many of the superhero stories that have been turned into movies have more or less completely eschewed the idea of the secret identity. Yeah. I live a seemingly normal life, and then on the side, I have this mm-hmm. side hustle yeah. where I'm a superhero and I do these incredible things. Um, because of that, the majority of the superheroes who are taking up so much of, uh, taking up so much space mm-hmm. in the popular consciousness are divorced from human experience. They're not mm-hmm. living they're a life that we can same. recognize. Yeah, they're celebrities. And it's become this sort of celebrity culture. I mean, both of the Marvel Spider Man movies have been about Spider Man dealing with basically celebrity culture in some way, especially the first one where all of a sudden I got like plucked from obscurity to lead Judas priest. And now all of a sudden I got to do like one concert with them. And now I'm expected to go back to my garage band. It's the Tim Ripper Owens story. And it kind of was actually. And now he's expected to go back to his childhood garage band and just make do with that. And I'm not saying that's not an interesting story. I just don't think it's interesting. I just, I just don't think that's an interesting Spider-Man story because ultimately what Spider-Man is interesting about is He's Peter Parker. He's a regular guy who's yeah. trying to lead a normal life on the side. Yeah, and his and his role as Spider-Man isn't this fun, cool thing he gets to do. It's actually this rather grim responsibility yeah. that he feels obligated to do because he's dealing with like PTSD from two horribly traumatic incidents that happened one right after the other. That, that the he de- could have prevented. Yeah, yeah, the death of his uncle and then the discovery that he could have prevented the death of his mm. uncle. And that has left him incredibly psychologically scarred. And... We lose that because mm-hmm. we're only interested in Spider-Man dealing with being a celebrity and giving like talks to kids and like yeah, but this time we're just going to go on a vacation and eschew all my responsibility. And I'm like, great Spider-Man story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and other characters say to him, you know, that great power comes with you know, take a vacation. Yeah. By the way, here's death bombs in space. Yeah. Here's sunglasses have, that you, like give you, you a, now a you nuclear have, arsenal. Now you have yeah. more power and less responsibility. Good which, job. Which again, Spider-Man. I, if if you enjoy those movies, mm-hmm. awesome. I don't think they're. I can enjoy watching them but i think what my problem with a lot of the mcu movies is that again they're just divorced from any sense of like recognizable humanity now yeah and i think that the further we go from that the the more that we ultimately lose Mm -hmm. and the more connection between their experiences and ours at home we we are abandoning Mm -hmm. and i think that sucks i think it's really unfortunate and I'd be one thing if this was only some of them, but it is seem to be the vast majority are taking this tactic. Mm. And yeah, I think as a result, we're losing the connective tissue between superhero, this mythic storytelling and human experience. Yeah. And I, I think that's, a, and I think it's understandable to watch the superhero movies and say, I miss human experience and start saying, okay, I want to see movies that are about something more real. And mm. if not literally real, then certainly about like Rec- recognizably human. Yeah. And... Something, something that I can, you know, apply to my life rather mm. than use mostly as escapist entertainment, which yeah, I'm not saying these movies aren't about anything, but they're about their own shit. Yeah. 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 It's a lot long ago that especially the Avengers series in particular became more about the machinations of its own construction yeah. rather than like a theme. Uh, Pretty much, yeah. Stuff comes up, but the movies are rarely, like, about those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's, like, uh, some interesting ideas throughout that they don't ever explore. And because it's an unending machine, they just... 
they can't do anything really actually dramatic. They can't end it. They can't end a, a character's life in an interesting I, and way. And you can have all the uh, craziness and tell a real story. Mm. Into the Spider-Verse is a real human story. Yeah. And it's also as wild it's, as it, any superhero story ever told. It, it's pretty, I mean, it, it's, it's got Spider-Ham in it, for goodness sake. And yet it connects to humanity. There's uh-huh. an actual real coming-of-age story here. A story about mentors and a story mm-hmm. about uh, connecting with your father and a story yeah. about responsibility. It's a good movie on top but, uh, of all of that. I, I remember reading, I think Scott, Me- it was Scott Mendelson who wrote mm. this interesting article about why um, superheroes were kind of like the most dominant force and other things were kind of losing their luster, other genre entertainments. And, uh, and he pointed out that putting superheroes in a story is, a superhero movie is no longer a genre. Mm. It's now kind of like a medium. Mm. And... Uh, if even if you look at uh, a single series of these superhero movies, they tend to sort of like rotate. Even though there's like kind of a sameness to them, they do rotate through different subgenres within mm-hmm. superheroes. And so, essentially, people would rather go to see the superhero version of a teen comedy than yeah. go to see a teen comedy. They'd rather go to see the superhero version of a space opera than a space opera. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's sort of adding this extra edge uh, over any other genre that's trying to play it straight. I, quite, I, this this mm. is going to sound hyperbolic, but mm. I, I don't mean it that way. I want to think about this in mm. like sort of like a, a natural way. Are superhero movies or, or, or superhero genre, is the superhero genre a virus? Where <laughs> if you get exposed to it and it's cool. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, it's you know, superheroes are fun. I grew up reading superhero comics. Uh, but then you need to follow other superhero comics and all the superhero comics in this universe. And then, oh, shit, now I need to see every single film if I'm going to understand this big crossover I want to see mm-hmm. just because I only like one of them. And, oh, wait, now I need to see what DC is oh, doing because yeah. they're trying to compete with it. And everyone's talking about how that's really cool. And then all of a sudden, all you're doing, and then all of a sudden, the entire, like, comic book market is dominated by superhero comics and that's true to this day i mean manga is taking up more of like the space now but in american comics it's still superheroes mostly first and foremost and as long as i've been alive it's been uh like 48 percent marvel 48 percent dc comics and a sliver for everything else like all yeah. all the underground comics, all the other side com- companies have this are fighting over this little tiny. Piece manga of the pie. are a lot bigger now than they used to be, and I think that's great mm-hmm. because manga actually has a lot more variety than yeah. I think people give it credit for, especially in America. Uh, but yeah, in terms of the American mm-hmm. storytelling market, superheroes have been dominating for yeah. a long time, and I don't, I don't dislike I don't them, a, but they're sucking the air out of the room. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't describe them as a virus. Mm-hmm. It's more like it's more like a drug addiction. Interesting. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's like yeah. yeah uh, William S. Burroughs said, uh, "Shooting junk leads to shooting more junk." Yeah, uh, that's all. It, that's it's the cycle. That's yeah. that's the goal is just to get more. Yeah, and and they and they I remember in Train Spot and they talk about like heroin, like heroin. Mm. You sh- you should not do heroin. I want to make that abundantly clear. But the, like goodness the whole, no. But the, in Train Spotting, they do acknowledge that drugs feel good. Yeah, they are they dominate your life and they can completely ruin your life, but mm. you wouldn't do them if they made you feel worse. They do them because you temporarily feel better. Yeah. yeah. And but, uh, so like, but there's, it's, so that makes you want to do more of them. And that becomes yeah, this endless the, cycle where you can do nothing else. There's, and your whole life is ruined. Yeah, there's no, there's no end goal to yeah. being addicted to junk. It's, yeah. it's just, 
you you have the addiction. Yeah. You need it. You get it. You need more. You get more, and that yeah. and it's just going to keep on you're, ending. You're status quo. Well, that's it yeah. from now on, and there will be no more ambition and, and, and yeah. nothing. And yeah. The, the the only solution is to kick the habit. That's the that's all you can do is to yeah. stop. Well, and that's why I think a lot of people like the mm. you know, superhero comics, even mm. though they're still dominating the comic medium in in America. Superhero comic sales have been going down. I mean, they they spike every once in a while, but yeah. like they're not the way they were in like the '90s when they were selling millions of copies. And so, but what's happening isn't that superhero storytelling is dying. It just moved to movies, and that's mm. making a billion dollars. And the comics are dying and. What, what, are we stuck with superheroes forever now and the only way to like mm. move on is to move on to a different medium which will then be taken over by superheroes like is that what's going to happen yeah an, an, another medium uh, I, I mean that's what's happening with the streaming services sure. uh, Disney saw the writing on the wall uh, mm. during the pandemic they pulled a lot of stuff out of theaters mm. and they started dumping these huge amounts of money into their streaming service yeah. uh, and that might be what we're looking at now. It's just mm-hmm. going to be this constant deluge. Um, and to be fair, I know, there's a lot of streaming service stuff that is not superhero storytelling. Yeah. It's doing really well. Like like uh, Mayor of Easttown. I haven't watched it, yeah, but well, like it's a murder mystery what, show, and it's all anyone could talk about yeah. for a while. And it's it's you know about a middle aged woman yeah. solving a murder. Yeah, what, Great. I'm glad that that's popular. And instead of something like. Yeah. I have nothing against mm. Jupiter's Legacy. I haven't seen it, but I'm glad that something other mm. than a superhero thing can be popular now. And that, yeah, what I, that, that I, would be you'd expect it to be the other way around, given how things are going in the culture. What I, I appreciate about what's going on in the streaming, and we're off topic now, but whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, what I appreciate what's going on in the streaming services now is it reminds me a lot of the biggest box office hits of like the late '80s and early '90s when there was a lot of variety. Yeah, um, like the highest grossing films of 1993. Number one was Jurassic Park. That's kind yeah, of predictable. That's a big, big effects-based thriller, and that's mm-hmm. kind of where where we are right now. But the like two through ten weren't also special effects thrillers. Mm-hmm. There was stuff like Mrs. Doubtfire and The Firm, and yeah. uh, and uh, I think The Fugitive was that year. Like there's there's all these different uh, yeah it was yeah yeah there's all these. Films of different genres that are all making huge amounts of money. Yeah, and some of them are really uh, mainstream blockbusters. The Firm is. It's a thriller, but by today's standards, it would be like a drama. Yeah, like it's actually kind of heady and and like it, it's really good, but, but like it's but it's, yeah, not, I, it's not what you would think of as a blockbuster today. Yeah, yeah the, very this, different. But now all that variety, you look at the movie theaters and you look at the top ten grossing films of like the last decade, and they're all special effects based action blockbuster mm-hmm. films for the most part. You, you might find uh, a you might find an American a, sniper sneaking yeah, in yeah, here and, and a couple there, of but, outliers. Yeah, yeah. and then yeah. if you look at like the most profitable films, you'll find films like I don't know, Get Out is on there, and right, that's exciting right. and new. But yeah, but for the, but for the, the most part, it's, 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 it's the Marvel and the Star Wars. It's the odd ones out there, uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so all of that variety is now on streaming. It's like, okay, what's the big hit? Oh, it's a period piece about a woman who plays chess. Yeah, it's like that was a Queen's Gambit is huge hit. It's huge. Here's here's a about a party girl who's reliving the same party over and over again. Russian Doll was really really huge yeah. for a second. And I think that's there's actually, a lot of interesting different kinds of stories that you can find on streaming. And I think that's actually really exciting. That's actually one of the big I think bonuses yeah. of streaming, which is that. If you don't have to take a chance, you know, if you don't have to spend extra mm-hmm. to go see a movie, you don't have to like go outside the house to see something, you're much more willing, at least a lot of people are, to just randomly pick something that might not be in your wheelhouse yeah. and give it a shot and find out that it is. You know, I talk to a lot of people about like, oh, you know, there's all these cool original movies coming out and everyone went seeing is the big stuff and 
you know, I, I can only complain so much about that. It's your money. See what you want to see. But I always try to encourage people to see stuff that maybe isn't in their wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of people, it's perfectly understandable. Listen, it's my money. I only have time to see one movie. Mm-hmm. I don't get to see all the movies that you do as a critic. So I'm going to see something that feels safe, that I feel like I know I'm going to get my money's worth. And so I'm going to go to a reliable franchise. Yeah. Nah. I get it. I totally get it. But the cool thing about streaming is that it's all there. And if, it's, if you're you, paying for the subscription, yeah. now you can have... You've already got it. You've you got time. Well time if you, and you have time you can yeah. explore a little bit so I think that's a good thing and I do appreciate that mm. streaming services across the board even stuff like the big guns if you will mm. are indeed putting money into things that are odd and mm. probably wouldn't be successful in theaters but can be very successful at yeah. home great that part's great yeah. I love that I have no idea what the what the email was about now <laughs> we about, about just superhero fatigue, was, essentially. Yeah, it's such a short email too. No, it's so fine. Much. It's fine. This no, 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 no this it's fine. This, I think it's fine. It's actually, spiraled off. So actually, much, but yeah. it, it goes to the topic that yeah. there's actually a lot of variety out there and a lot of popular variety. If you don't want to go obscure, I, that that's my always been my instincts. But if you yeah. don't want to like start delving through the the, the eight hour films on Ovid. Uh, you can watch Russian Doll or The yeah. Queen's Gambit. There's a lot of pop stuff that's in the popular consciousness yeah. that a lot of people are talking about that you can talk to your coworkers about that does ha- that has no superheroes in it whatsoever. Yeah. L- luckily, it's out there. And uh, now, and and uh, watch Small Axe. Um, oh, please watch Small Axe. It's so damn good. Anyway, that is it for uh, we've got mail for this week. Thank okay. everybody for listening. Uh, thank you, everybody, for your emails. Uh, we had a lot of really great topics this week, and we always appreciate when people uh, chime in with their two cents and tell us about stuff that we didn't know about mm-hmm. or maybe we didn't realize was significant. Uh, so, uh, again, if we if we put out a, a, a request and say, hey, let us know about like more concert movies, we mean it. Mm-hmm. If you there's something that we're not talking about that we should be talking about, you want to share it with the world, mm-hmm. email us. And of course, you can email us about anything you want. I am so caffeinated right now. I don't know what you gave me. You gave <laughs> just me just give me a cup of black tea. You gave me a cup of really strong tea, that's, that's and it's like so it's after one a.m. and I am so awake right now. It's really rare for us. <laughs> right, um, if, if you need some chamomile afterwards, I can get you. I have it at home. I'll be fine. Right. Uh, we're recording at Whitney's apartment uh, for for once for practical reasons. Anyway. Uh, but I digress. Anyway, you can email us letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, and again, anything you want to talk about. It doesn't even have to be movies, really. It would be anything you want. Movies is like our specialty, mm. but we'll, we'll talk about whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, please do. You can also, if you really want to, and we've had some people say they did, uh, you can uh, write us a letter, like on paper and stuff. And you can mail it to us proper, because we now have a P.O. box. Futuristic technology, <laughs> the PO We're, box. Yeah, it's we've it's it's high time we reached into the future and opened a post office box. <laughs> so uh, if you want to write, well, you know what? We, We're supporting our local post office, and I think that's a good thing. Ab- absolutely, yeah. we are, and uh, and I love getting letters, um, and we love to hear from you in paper form. And if you yeah. send us an email, I realize it's more practical for most e- of you. E- emails. Yeah. yeah. You're probably, you can probably just throw that off on a bus station. Yeah. But uh, yeah, if you want to actually sit and print out a piece of paper and put it in an envelope, I'd love to open that envelope <laughs> and read the letter, read from a piece of paper on the air. Um, the PO box is uh, the critically acclaimed network PO box six four one five six five LA California nine double zero six four. Yeah, and of course we're on Twitter uh, at critic acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I am at Whitney Seibold, and uh, we have a Patreon. Uh, and thank you to everybody who is already a subscriber on Patreon. Seriously, without you, none of our shows would be possible. Mm. And 
I don't know what I'd do without you. <laughs> uh, so I'm really, really grateful to every single one of you. And I know I speak for me and Whitney when I say that. Uh, yeah. But if you want to join up, if you haven't already, we'd love to have you. We have a lot of exclusive shows. Um, and there's a big back catalog right now. There's probably like hundreds of hours of our podcast, oh, golly, yes. that, at least, on there right now. Mm-hmm. With like reviews of, we're going through every single episode of Star Trek, every single episode of 1960s Batman. We did a whole series, one podcast per episode of Firefly. Uh, we have a podcast about TV movies that we, it's now defunct, but all the episodes are there. Uh, we do podcasts about stuff that isn't on Disney Plus, but should be stuff about the Oscars, commentary tracks. We got a lot. Mm-hmm. So we do want to make sure that there, our patrons get something for their contributions. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a lot and we hope you enjoy it. And, uh, we're working on giving you even more, uh, constantly recording. So my God, so much. And yet, somehow, not enough. And um, <laughs> it's never enough. It's never enough. No, but but, but we'll try. We really love doing it, though. Mm-hmm. So thank you everybody for supporting us and giving us the opportunity to keep doing it. And uh, yeah, we'll see you soon. We have a lot of other shows here at the critically acclaimed network. Whether or not you're a patron, this this part's for free. Uh, and uh, we'll see you next week for more. We've got mail. Thank you, everybody, once again. Sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney. <laughs>